This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is a special live holiday edition as we talk about saving Mr. Banks. Uh, I am the host of the program, Ryan Kilpatrick, and this is the show where we talk about all the films of the Walt Disney Company, from Walt Disney Pictures to Lucasfilm to Marvel to Pixar to Disney Toon Studios, all of them here on this program, as well as over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me there and on this show are the fine film experts you've come to know and love. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, uh, who has not saved himself, nor Mr. Banks. No, but I have saving banks. You have savings in the bank? Indeed. And little piggy okay. banks that I put coins into. One shaped like a pig. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I figure you got to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, you, you got to save for your future in ceramic pigs. That's, that's what I was always told. Yeah, I love ceramic pigs. We also have joining us the one and only Miss Rachel Kolb from JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? Ah, uh, yes. Her computer she crashed. Her, her computer crashed. She will be back. Uh, but, of course, you, you. we also have our fine producer, the one and only Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good if this, if this thing does not keep causing <laughs> any problems. <laughs> Live shows are always an adventure, as we see. Rachel, Rachel's jumped out, and we had uh, some trouble getting started, but we're here now. Uh, and as mentioned, we're talking about saving Mr. Banks. The all right. And in case you've missed it, it is the story of P.L. Travers negotiating with the Disney Studio over the rights to make the film Mary Poppins. Um, so. Not a lot of drama in the end. Uh, I think we all know that Mary Poppins did, in fact, get made, as we were joking about before we started the show. Um, but the, the real story here is about uh, P.L. Travers and her interactions with the Disney company and how she sort of based Mary Poppins on her own childhood. So a lot of the movie is told with uh, not just what happens at the studio – uh, but also what happened to P.L. Travers in her childhood. So lots of different things uh, going on here. And uh, it is, it, it, you know, an all-star cast. So welcome in, Rachel. How are you? Um, aside from a computer crash, I'm good. <laughs> so as mentioned, we're talking about saving Mr. Banks. And, um, you know, not a lot of suspense in what the story is, but more how it unfolds. Uh, so... I assume everybody's seen. Everybody's obviously seen it at least once. I think what Todd, you you guys have seen it twice. Twice, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, not not doing huge business at the box office. This one's uh, so far has has gotten off to a slow start. Just under fifteen million um, released on the twentieth. Uh, well, it was released in New York and L.A. on the thirteenth. Uh, did a bazillion early screenings. Um, if you were a member of just about any Disney club or something, um, you probably got an invitation to those. Yeah, they did a few screenings. They did, first they did AMC, 
And then they did um Stubs. No, that's a, that's what I was oh, that's an answer, yeah. First they did Stubs. Then they did the um the marketing company did one. Yep, the marketing screenings, yep. And then D V C did one. Yeah, they did they did a bunch of them. Uh, so it, it, it's interesting. It's uh, I assume this is something that they expect to live on well into the new year, uh, but it's also I would guess Disney's attempt to produce an Oscar-winning film uh, because Emma Thompson is is up for a Golden Globe for Best Actress, and I think yeah. many people are expecting her to get nominated uh, for an Academy Award as well. Yeah, I don't think that Disney's too concerned with the box office numbers right now because um, usually, usually Oscar films don't do huge box office numbers. They do okay, but they don't like. Uh, this isn't a good indicator right now of whether or not it's going to get nominated for stuff. I don't think. Yeah, they yeah. do better. They do better in like the fe- the February re-release. Well, they've <laughs> yeah. already um, set a DVD date for this. Yeah, in March. Yeah. Yeah, they have to these days. It's it's uh, sixty to ninety days out usually is standard now. So, yep. um, but yeah, it, the thing is, it's been out for a while overseas, right? Because London released like back in November, not even December, right? Yeah, uh, end of, end of November. Yeah, yeah. November twenty ninth. So um, they're you know they're ahead of us by a few weeks, and it's still uh, behind. Uh, just like I checked last night, I don't know if you did, but um, I mean it's it made it. it Cost thirty five million to make. It's still around twenty five million that it's made that it's come back with so far in terms of domestic plus worldwide. So actually, it's just fifteen million worldwide. Sorry, I read that wrong. I did my math wrong. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah well, I think at the end of the day, um, this is this is a, a screenplay that was floating around for quite some time. Uh, it, it actually got started back in two thousand two and. Um, ended up there's there's a famous list in Hollywood called the blacklist where that's screenplay the best screenplays that are not in production, and so that it was floating around on that for a couple of years, and it was one of those things where because of the screenplay and because it involved Mary Poppins and some of the music from the film, uh, the char- Walt Disney as a character in the film um, because he was obviously you know an important part of P. L. Travers' life, which is what the original story was. Um, they knew that Disney would have to sign off on it, and so I think eventually it got to a point where um, Disney had to either make the film or the film wasn't going to get made. Uh, so I think you know between Bob Iger and uh, and Alan Horn, the head of the studio, they they decided it was worth making. Um, and, and like I you said, they made it for you know not too much money. Yeah. And I think that they would have wanted to make it because I think if another if another studio would have taken the script, I think it could have gotten a lot darker as far as um, its portrayal of Disney, especially because I mean it's not like the movie necessarily presents a wholly cheery, completely blemish-free version of Walt Disney. But I think another studio might have maybe pushed that a little bit further. Yeah, oh, I, I think it's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it it's something that that should be noted um, before we we talk necessarily about the the entire plot of the of the film is that you know there's some controversy in the in the Disney fan community about the fact that you know this this isn't a quote unquote true story that many things that happened in the movie you know did happen but the story as presented in the movie is not a true story um, 
you know, the, the movie tells the story of P.L. Travers coming to the studio to work for two weeks with the with Don DeGrotti and the Sherman Brothers on the story of the film. Uh, and we see Walt Disney interacting with her while, while she's at the studio, when in fact Walt actually left town um, on purpose so that he did not have to interact with her. <laughs> huh. Yeah, he, he, he already wasn't fond of her to begin with. Um, I also know, like, for example, those certain scenes in the movie that you see, like the one in the preview with the Disneyland, uh, he did not actually obviously take her to Disneyland, but his intent was that she go to Disneyland, right? Yes. Because the original, the original letter that he wrote to her uh, that she got upon her arrival stated what he roughly felt her itinerary was and mentioned somebody else taking her to Disneyland. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's all kinds of things that happen in the movie, um, you know, like Walt, you know, Walt trying to figure her out. Uh, and that, that's one of the criticisms that I've seen from critics, not from Disney critics, but from critics throughout Walt is trying to figure her out so that he can get the rights to the film. Um, I, I sincerely doubt that ever happened. I think he probably wanted to figure out how did he get the rights to the film, no doubt. But I don't think he was really trying to delve into her childhood. No. Um, as he ends up doing in the film. Um, but it, it is important to note that this is this is P.L. Travers' story and that Walt Disney, as portrayed here by Tom Hanks, is merely a, a character in the story and sort of fills a few different roles. And they chose to use Walt Disney as you know more of a plot device necessarily than anything else in the film. The uh, this is P.L. Travers' story. This, this is... Uh, one of the stories of P.L. Travers, there are different ones. Yeah, they definitely gloss over a lot of things. She was uh, she, she was a very eccentric lady. Yeah, there's actually a really great uh, BBC documentary that's up on YouTube right now that just came out with the opening of, of the film called uh, The Secret Life of Mary Poppins. It delves a lot more into the personal life of P.L. Travers and some of... Um, like the things that obviously weren't covered in this film. It gives a little bit clearer timeline of uh, getting the rights to it and uh, when the film came out and some of the things that were going on in her personal life at that time, which actually do get hinted at in the film and in a lot of dialogue. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I made the point, like I, I wrote a, a quick, you know, non-spoilery type review and my one big takeaway from the movie is that this is really not about even saving Mr. Banks because that's what Mary Poppins is about, right? Yeah. And this this is really about saving P.L. Travers. That's what this movie is, right? And now, granted, the actual real-life circumstances, that was not the case. But I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, be a little revisionist. Absolutely agree. But at the same time, also uh, redeem their well-known stances on the character on the on the woman sorry not the character she's not a character well she was a character but not a character you know yes there we go <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. um but uh you, you know she's um she was a hard woman to deal with uh richard sherman for example uh has really has to restrain himself when talking about her and he he himself even says i'm you know i'm holding back i'm just letting you know when he gets an interview it's basically what he says not exact words. Yeah. yeah. Well, I saw I saw some places where he just refused to talk about those two weeks that, yeah. that she spent 
Yeah. And and the animosity definitely goes both ways. When the when the Broadway show happened, one of the the uh, things in her contract was that the Sherman Brothers were to have nothing to do with any additional music for the stage musical. And that's why they had to hire someone else to come in to write additional music for it. It, it wasn't just it didn't just go that far. She said absolutely no Americans would work on a stage play. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it went it went that far. I mean, and, and as they make a point of in the movie at the end, they're right. She herself isn't even British. So, you know, where does she come off kind of thing? So and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I'm just saying that's, you know, that's the sentiment they give towards the end of the movie. Yes. Yeah, there's there's I think it's best to for people going in and approaching this um, to go into it knowing that this is a movie trying to tell a story and this is not a documentary. You know, if you go into it just looking to be entertained with a good story then I think you're going to be pleased. If you go into it trying to nitpick about historical accuracy, um, you probably won't like it that much. The only thing is you might not like it because of the way they they do, I'm going to call it, again, Longridge-esque, where they go back and do those drop scenes in between the movie to hurt between the past and the present. Oh, where they show her past and the and, and what's going on in the in the rehearsal room. Yes. Right. I, I think there's a really good reason why they do those background flashbacks when I start to think about it. Um, and my my theory is this, right? It's like let's face it, like one third to one half of the movie is the flashbacks. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. R- roughly. I mean, it's not quite half, but it's not quite a third. It's somewhere in between there, and. I think that they did it because, like I said, going back to that concept of her redeeming, is there's a lot of uh, scenes where she kind of has this moment of hesitation and then she flashes back. Yes. And it, you have to remember that when you as a person um, have memories of the past that your brain distorts them, right? It either makes them the best possible or the worst possible. There's really seldom somewhere in between that you remember things unless it's facts. You know, event, events are usually ca- – um, catalyzed in one direction or the other. Catalyzed? That's not the right word. But you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> um, like I'm saying it, I'm, not, I'm like, no, no, not the right word. Because um, her father was an alcoholic, and her, and that's why, like I said, that's why she wrote it was about her father. That's why they make that point in the movie. Okay, and that's a point that in the few interviews that she did give ever in her life, because she was not someone who ever liked being interviewed, she she did always make that one point is that, you know, it's it's not about this. It's about the, you know, that uh, the darkness in life and the fact that, you know, you have to deal with everything that life throws at you. And there's not magic and there's not this because to her. Mary Poppins was a character who um, well, she won. She says she did. She herself did not create Mary Poppins. Right. That was always her big thing in interviews. Everybody knows that, right? No, no, no. Okay, so she would always say that, you know that, that how she blows in on the wind? She would say that Mary Poppins was just someone who passed her by one day. Yeah, uh, she, okay. yeah, yeah. I heard some excerpts from an interview with her where she would say that she was often surprised by things that Mary Poppins would do, like going up the banister and stuff, that she's like, oh, how did she ever do that? And it's like, well... The notion of, well, you created that character, but she doesn't even see it that way. Right. 
Absolutely. Um, but uh, where where I was going is 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 back to her. It's her redemption. It's her moment of redemption, and I think that's why you get that scene where they're doing the fiduciary bank song, right? And she is remembering it as a speech her father gave, which may or may not be true, but at some point it changes from a speech to her father actually singing, which probably would have never happened, despite right. how drunk he was. And I th- it more, li- more than likely he slurred through a speech and it made no coherent sense, is really the truth of the matter. But she remembered something differently and she wrote something differently, right? Because again, you know, you you recreate things to remember them a lot. You know, just how the brain works. Yeah. I well, did, yeah. The, way that, the way I took that scene was just that the lyrics were very similar to some, the speech that he was giving. And so she was just, you know, combining kind of the two in her brain that it's like the words of that song coming out of his mouth. Not right, necessarily yeah, that she was remembering too. that he said that, but just that it was, you know, what was going through her head at that moment. Right. Well, I, th- I think the, a good reason for that is um, think to what Walt, the Walt in the movie says, right, is that, that, you know, she goes, they're not songs. And he goes, but they are songs. He goes, no, they're just, wor- they're just memory plays, ways to remember. recitations. Recitations, yeah. ways, which is a, what she means by that. Todd, can you slow down a little with your speech? Sure, absolutely. Because you're going way too fast for the audio to catch up. Okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm slowing down. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> the what I'm getting at is that um, she what what she means by recitation is that it's it's a memory play, right? It's it's you know you you remember certain key phrases to remember an entire thing. It's how you memorize for tests and stuff like that. Right. So and, and that's what I think she's talking about. But to him, it was songs, and that's why it became a musical. Well, and she was also a poet, so she probably thought of them like, you know, like poetry, like poetry recitations. Yes. Well, she was also a movie reviewer who slammed mm-hmm. Snow White, so. Yes. Yeah, she, she did not have very kind words for Disney even before he started going after her for the rights for her book. Absolutely, yeah. Well, so we should we should talk about the basic setup of the of the film, um, and we'll try not to be too too spoilery because you know some people have, have uh, not yet seen it, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about it uh, and some of the things that we really um, liked and disliked throughout the film. But the basic uh, plot of the film sets up the two weeks that P.L. Travers came to the studio to work with the Sherman Brothers uh, and Don DeGrotti, the a story man at the studio on the script for Mary Poppins. And the reason for that in real life that that happened is that she had indeed already signed over uh, the rights to the to Mary Poppins for Walt to make the movie. However, she got final script approval, and he actually had entered her as a sort of a service contract uh, to serve as a consultant on the story. So this was sort of him fulfilling his end of the bargain that they had made, uh, and that's why he skipped town because he had no intention of really actually listening to too much of what she <laughs> had to say. Uh, in the film, it's more of a cat and mouse game in that she's coming to sit through the two week story sessions, uh, work with them in order to get the money that she's getting because the money that uh, they ended up actually turning over in real life was in today's dollars, one mil- over a million dollars. 
So it was a significant amount of money. Uh, so she came to the studio in the film to do that. And as she does so, um, as we've talked about, it's counterbalanced with these flashbacks of her and her father and her family in Australia. Uh, and so she, as she's going through these story sessions about her beloved character, she's remembering things from her subconscious about her family and her alcoholic father, her mother, um, her sisters, and her Aunt Ellie eventually towards the end that make her very uncomfortable. And so the movie is more about her uh, learning to accept some of those things, learning about uh, you know her characters and her father, uh, and hence the title. Mr. Banks in the films, in the or rather in the books, is actually you know her way of sort of redeeming her father. And so the story of the, of the movie is ultimately that story, and Walt pursuing her to get the film made, um, and, and it ends with spoiler alert: the film gets made. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the time period of the movie, just so people understand, is 1961. Um, it, 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 I, I don't think it's ever actually said in the movie. I mean, your fans know because they read everything about the Disneyland scene and everything said it was 1961 there. And that's about when it happened in real life, because I think it was the end of 1961 when it happened Yeah, in real life. It was. Um, and so that's about, you know, two to three years before the actual release of the movie, so just to give everybody an idea. Yeah, the movie itself come, came out in 1965. Yeah. It was yeah. really one of the last things uh, Walt Walt did before he died in 66. Yeah. Sad but true. Yep, indeed. Uh, so the film, you know, really centers on P.L. Travers' character, played by Emma Thompson, who is getting all sorts of rave reviews for her performance here. And I don't know about you guys, I thought she was outstanding in the role. Oh, definitely. I, yeah. I always love Emma Thompson. I think that she could bring a real empathy for for uh, Travers as a character, as a writer, because Emma Thompson herself is a writer, actually a screenwriter who's won a number of awards for her work so um i think i think she could understand her from that perspective very well yeah she she like hanks who we can get to in a minute are the two of them together are two of the best character actors in the world today i would have to say oh yeah i mean they they just completely become absorbed in characters and they love the meaniness of a character that's the other half especially her she she uh, talks in her interviews about how uh, challenging this role was because it was uh, a very weighty role to play, is how she described it, Me meaning that it's really hard to when you're a nice person to get up and be a mean person every day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she, she talked a lot about, um, in, in many of the interviews I read, about how hard it was for her because she would listen – she listened to the tapes – that um, so one of the things that happens early on in the movie is that you know P.L. Travers insists that all the story sessions be taped, and they were. That was true, uh, and so she listened to these tapes. And if you if you have the anniversary soundtrack to Mary Poppins, which I do, um, they have quite a few of those that they released on that soundtrack. Um, and you know some of the things from the movie are, and they show them at the very end of the movie. You, you can hear them are direct quotes from those story sessions and you know they 
roughed, you know, kind of sanded down some of the edges um, of how mean P.L. Travers actually was to them in some of these meetings. Yeah. Um, but but as, an, as an example, that thing about the color red really is on the tapes. Yes. And it's something huh. that... It's something that Emma Thompson said hit her so hard when she actually heard it that she insisted that they make sure it get done because it just she felt that it really that one moment brings it all home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, also I like that that she did her hair exactly like P.L. Travers. Like apparently she literally brought the picture to her hairstylist and said, make my hair this. Well, th- there's a good reason for that. Um, she does not. She refuses to wear wigs. Ah, I did not Emma, know that. Yes, Emma Thompson does not wear wigs. Uh, she she just doesn't like them. So whenever she does a role, that is usually or always her real hair. <laughs> um, one of the one of the funny pieces that I found. So I want to let me let me back up a step. One of the things I did last night is there's a free iBook for the for this that you can get right now for saving Mr. Banks. I don't know if anybody else knew this. I did not. I'm going okay. to get it, though. So I, I went and got it uh, yesterday, and I read it last night. It's about 40 pages. But it's got, you know, video, it's got pictures and video and audio, so it takes a little bit to get through. Um, and one of the things that I learned in that that I thought was, the, was absolutely cute was that to play a joke on Emma Thompson, they, uh, you know the scene where they have all the stuffed animals in P.L. Travers' room? Yes. Yeah. Apparently, they decided to really to do that to Emma Thompson in her own Los Angeles hotel room where she stayed during the production of the film. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so I, I thought that was a cute little tidbit to add in there. Oh, very nice. I also want that stuffed tail. If anyone knows like where I can get that stuffed tail, that would be awesome, please. Yeah, they have some vintage uh, versions of the characters in those in those stuffed animals for sure. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And note, right now, there's probably somebody listening who, um, <laughs> by the way, Chris says he couldn't see anyone else as Travers besides Thompson. I kind of tend to agree. I mean, it'd be really hard to, to pick Especially now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that before she took the role that they were trying to get Meryl Streep to do it. Yeah, the other two people that I could think of right offhand would be Glenn Close, who I think could really pull off kind of the coldness of that character. And uh, and Meryl Streep. Yeah, and I guess Meryl Streep wasn't available for one reason or another, so they got her. Um, you know, so that's that's just the way it goes. I don't remember what I was going to say before. That's when you just continue. It'll come back to me. All right. Well, I think it all worked out. Um, and so, like you mentioned, Todd, Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney. He is not in as much of the movie as you would think. He's more of a supporting character, I'd say. Definitely. Yeah, because I thought the whole film was going to be much more about the two of them interacting, and and that's very little of actually what the film is about, which is I, I think good because you know you can stretch the truth, like we said, you know Walt wasn't actually there, but you stretch it a little too far and it gets a little uh, out of whack. So I think that's actually uh, a, a good thing that he's not in too much of the movie. I thought his acting was great, but wow, his accent. Tom Hanks doesn't need to be doing accents. <laughs> he he himself said that he is well aware that he is not Walt Disney, not in not in look or sound. Right. Right. Which so I was okay I, with that. Yeah. So I, I think that 
you know, he understands that what, so what he went for instead was just to play the stage presence, which I think he kind of sort of accomplishes. Yeah, I think so too. I think he, I think he had, it's exactly that. He has the presence of Walt without actually being Walt. Yeah. I had one problem that I wanted to run by everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. <laughs> um, so he like like uh, Emma Thompson's hair. He grew his own mustache, which was apparently a big thing. Apparently, um, but it was crooked, and that drove me nuts the entire movie. I did not notice this. Yeah, yeah. Have to look his uh, wh- whatever that little cleft thing in the middle of your lip is there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That. His, I, you know, you, the middle of your mustache is supposed to rest right there, and his is like deviated from his the septum of his nose. So either his nose is crooked or his lip is crooked. I'm not sure with, and I, so it just looked weird, you know, because if you ever looked at a picture of Walt, Walt doesn't have a problem. And I know what he was trying to do, and I don't mean in a bad way. It just I kept looking at his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, I mean, Hanks plays Walt Disney. At, he he's playing Uncle Walt at this point. He's really more playing the. Um, in most of the, his scenes, he's playing the Walt that we all saw in the Wonderful World of Disney. Um, but there are times where he plays the quote unquote real Walt, and you know who knows for sure. But the Walt who you know was did not offer a lot of praise. The Walt who, you know, did drink in his office, who, you know, had a cigarette, which obviously that was what ultimately killed him. So they they do allow, to your point earlier, Rachel, a little bit of the the harsher edges of Walt Disney to show through a little bit. Yeah, and I I do think that the way that he treats Travers, especially when she first arrives, versus the way that he treats her once he has actually, you know, gotten the rights from her. I think that, I think it is necessary to see both sides of that and to understand it. Because especially when you, um, I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but um, like with Travers's opinion of someone like Walt and the Sherman brothers, and I'm blanking on the writer's name, but the way that that she treats them in her opinion of them versus the way that she treats her driver and her opinion of him. Um, I, I just think that um, like with her driver, she really, she really appreciates him and, you know, grows, grows to like him because of the fact that he's always kind to her and always good to her because that's just the kind of person he is. Whereas she sees the, the, these people being nice to her and kind to her because they want something from her, yeah, which is she, Hollywood. She has no business relationship with the driver. That's right. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be her driver no matter what. Yeah. So, so the fact that he is still such, you know, such a good person to her, even when she's so prickly back to him, um, I think that's, that's a good sign of character and what she appreciated from a person like that. If, it, if that makes any sense, I think I might have gone off on a tangent there, but anyways. No, it does. Um, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to say one thing is that one of the big things, well, they do show him drinking uh, in a movie with the Disney label like this is. Disney does not actually allow one to see smoking occur. Yes, but it's they very have, implied. I, I actually got, I actually will include the show notes, the link to their um, 
smoking policies and how they what what they can and can't include in movies depending on rating and what brand it's under and stuff like that. So it's a they actually have a page for that on their website. I stumbled into it. I didn't know it was there. I just like I went searching for something about it and I got the real deal. So it was kind of cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I mean, though he he didn't do a bad job. It's just it it's the fact that it's Walt Disney. So many people are having problems with. Yeah, and there's expectations. There's a lot of expectations because unlike a lot of other studio heads at that time, he was very much in the public eye. Like people people knew him and thought of him almost like you, you talk about Uncle Walt. They think of him as family. Yes, that, and I think that's where a lot of the, the issues come from is that there's basically been this division of Walt Disney uh, into two different camps, if you will. There's people who want him to be Uncle Walt and that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't harsh and he wasn't a businessman and he was always, you know, trying – he never did sequels, you know, the whole myth of Uncle Walt. And then there's the, you know, there's the other side of the coin, the people who, you know, charge him with – all sorts of horrible things, you know, racism, anti-Semitism, and all these horrible things that, you know, most of which have been proven demonstrably false. But, you know, there's there's very little middle ground when it comes to Walt Disney. But it, the truth of the matter, as is usual, was quite in the middle. Uh, not that he did those horrible things, but he was a harsh businessman. And, you know, he it's not like he treated P.L. Travers with the utmost respect the entire time. You know what I mean? I mean, she, you know, he was, he was coarse with her and, um, he did not invite her to the premiere as it uh, says in the, in the film, you know, he, he, he was done with her at that point. He didn't need her anymore. And, and also while they shortened the timeline on it. Okay. Uh, he, he did in fact start producing this film before in real life, before she started, before she ever signed over rights for it. Yeah, because they'd been working on the music for like two years, and they didn't even know that it was. It wasn't until shortly before she came out that the Sherman Brothers said they even knew that that Walt didn't have the rights for it. Well, you know, in in the real world, uh, he Walt almost canceled the movie before she ever even came out. And he I said, think I heard something about this. Yeah, he, he was basically before that point in time. He just just like you know what we can use these movies in this other movie that I bought, which we all know what movie that is, right? Bed knobs and broomsticks. Bed knobs and broomsticks, and uh, which the you know based on another book that he bought called The Magic Bed Knob or something like that, right? That's the title of the book. I think and, that's uh, right. Yeah. And uh, you know, and he just like you know what I got this alternative, and they were already and some of the songs that didn't make it in Mary Poppins obviously did make it in, into Bed knobs and broomsticks anyway, but both got made because that's how the movie ends. It gets made. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so I want to backtrack. We talked a little bit about uh, P.L. Travers Driver. So, um, you know, she comes to Los Angeles and she gets set up in, in the Beverly Hills Hotel and uh, is picked up each day by her driver, who's played by Paul Giamatti. Um, he, we know him only as Ralph. Uh, best I could tell, not a real character. Not somebody that we, we actually knew or was written about in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just somebody who, uh, as Rachel was saying, was somebody that he could relate to. Um, and, and as you and Cheryl were saying, somebody that he didn't have to – that she didn't have to have a business relationship with. Just somebody she could deal with as on a human level uh, and therefore probably the most genuine relationship in the whole film. Yeah, and, we, and you mentioned earlier that uh, 
uh, Emma Thompson and Tom Hanks are some of the best character actors working in Hollywood, and I would definitely put Giamatti up there as well. And he does, I mean, he's in a supporting role in this movie and doesn't have as wide of a range of, you know, emotions to draw from as he does with a lot of his other characters, but I, I thought he was wonderful. Yeah, well, I mean... He does yep. have that, that, he has this big backstory that we get, like, at the end. Yeah. yeah. We don't get this big backstory till to, like, we're halfway through the movie, then we get this backstory and we're all, like, killed, sorry, and crying for him. Yes. Yeah, I, I, and I'm, I'm not meaning to like say that his character isn't complex. I, I just mean compared to things like, um, uh, like movies like Sideways and stuff like, and uh, roles like that. That uh, this yeah. is maybe this is a bit smaller of a role. Yeah, but it's 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 also a very laid back role for him. I mean, usually he's a slightly more intense than this character is. Yeah, well, as I've mentioned, I, I I don't know if I mentioned before on the show, but the sad Paul Giamatti Twitter feed, <laughs> where he's 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 kind of known for playing a sad sack in a lot of movies. Uh, yes, he is. Fair enough. Um, I, you know, like, like I said, I mean, let's not forget you also have Bradley Whitford, who is always just entertaining to watch in any role he gets in, and because he's a very um, you know, lively actor. Right, he always does the hand motions and stuff when he talks, and then he like somehow works that into every character, which happens with Don DeGrati in this movie. Yes, <laughs> and and uh, Colin Farrell, who uh, he just knocks his role out of the park. Oh, he really he does. does! Oh my gosh! <laughs> See, I was I was talking to some to uh, to one of my uh, film friends, and he didn't even know that Colin Farrell was in this movie, and I just said, "Oh wait, just just wait till you see it. He's amazing." <laughs> Yeah, he is unbelievable. Um, you know, pl- he's, he plays P.L. Travers' father in all the flashback scenes. And, I mean, just lifts you up and breaks your heart all at the same time in, in certain scenes. Just a really great performance. I'm surprised, actually, that he's not getting um, some acting nominations in some of the early award shows. Yeah, I was I was thinking he would be a great dark horse for uh, for some supporting actor nods. Yeah, I, I agree. Can't can't agree enough. He he does an amazing job of of taking this character, and, and I think Emma Thompson does too. And it's one of those things that uh, is is really great about the film is it makes you care about people who are inherently unlikable, right? I mean, Emma Thompson is the is the epitome of it, right? She's She's horrible throughout throughout the first part of the film, especially to, you know, the people that she's working with. But you still like her, which is crazy, right? Like you should not like her because of the way she's acting, but you still do. And he, um, even though he's an alcoholic and you know he's going to disappoint his family, at least after a certain point in the film, you still like that character. Well, he provides a really great parallel for why um, for why uh, uh, P.L. Travers just does not like people like Walt. That yeah. his, her dad was just a dreamer. Like he was entirely about the fantasy, about um, you know, escaping from the real world and then when she gets this person who comes into her life who is very grounded and very much like, no, this is what has to happen. We don't live, you know, in this like la-di-da fantasy world that that's the person that she latched on to. 
Um, and and the way that she treats Disney and the way that she looks at the products that he makes, I mean, it's very much informed by, you know, her own feelings about her father. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one, also in the um, iBook, one of the things I read is Colin Farrell talks about Annie Buckley, who plays Ginty, who is the younger version of P.L. Travers. And uh, he says that she was a phenomenal actress to work with for a child. Uh, she said she just completely understood how to deliver emotion and range that he felt was well beyond the years of someone that age. Oh, yeah. She is, she's pretty special. Uh, the, the, this, is, this is one that will make you cry, folks, in case you haven't been able to tell already. Um, but that little girl, when she looks disappointed, it's... I mean, it's heartbreaking. Well, it's a lot for a young actress to wrap her head around everything from, you know, her father's alcoholism to her mother, um, you know, attempting to commit suicide, which actually did happen um, around that time of her father's death and everything. Um, You know, it's it it is a lot to to take in and to, you know, deliver the proper emotional response on screen for that. Yeah. As I wrote. To harken back to our last episode, I wrote, you have to have this this understanding of how this young girl transformed from a trustworthy soul into the woman with the closed, frozen heart. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, and we should, we should also mention the rest of the cast of uh, B.J. Novak and Jason Schwartzman as the Sherman Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to say, their portrayal is spot on if you've ever seen... Um, if you've ever seen the boys, the documentary about the Shermans, um, the moment where where Bob Sherman basically says out, you know, does it matter in the middle of the room uh, to P.L. Travers? I, I just leaned over to my wife and I'm like, wow, that's that's exactly right. I mean, they they nailed that character because he uh, that's the way he was. That's the way he talked. And, you know, if you if you see any interviews or discussions with him, that that was him. Yeah, he was um very much not in the Disney, unlike unlike Richard, he was not in the Disney fan community. No, not at all. He nope. didn't want much part of it. He just was like, okay, I'll do what you Disney asked me to, do, but I don't care about anything else. Yeah, no, he was um you know if you if you again you watch the documentary or read about the Shermans, he you know he thought they did good work and he was proud of it, but he didn't really want to have to dwell on it anymore well he also wanted to do some other work from what i understand i think he he had had a novel published i believe and he also did uh, um some painting yes. so he he mm-hmm. was the type of person that didn't want to dwell too much on what he had done prior he wanted to just move on to the next thing that's right um, but yeah, the you know I don't I don't want to spoil the story too much. Um, but uh, as you can imagine, throughout the the film, the you know the the sessions between the Shermans, uh, Don DeGrotti and P.L. Travers progress as we get more and more of P.L. Travers' backstory, and it ultimately you know all culminates with Walt um, getting the rights from her by sharing some of his background. Um, and that was one of the questions that my family had. Uh, we, we took the whole family um, to see the movie. 
And one of the questions my family had was, well, the stuff where Walt talks about being forced to uh, deliver papers and uh, go out in the snow and passing out in the snow and having to come back out at night, they're like, that that seems fake. That seems like that's all made up. Um, but that was all true. That's yeah, all stuff that, is, that, that, that is, he did. That is entirely true, yeah. Before we go um, too far off the radar of the recording scenes, I wanted to give our listeners, well, why well, this listener, <laughs> um, a hint of an upcoming podcast we'll be talking about. Yes. In the recording room. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, one of our upcoming, uh, there's a poster for one of our upcoming shows in the uh, recording room. That was good product placement, Cheryl. I'm glad you could work that out with Disney. They also, they also sent me an email regarding another podcast we're doing, which I sent to you guys. Yes, they did. It's true. <laughs> I must be reading their mind lately. Yep. But yeah, uh, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that, uh, you know, the, the climax of the film is, is Walt convincing P.L. Travers to give him the rights um, and sharing some of his background and things. Um, we do get to see uh, P.L. Travers showing up at the premiere. Uh, it goes a little differently than it did in real life. And by a little, I mean a lot. Well, her reaction to the movie goes differently. Uh, correct, yeah. Yeah. Because I do want to say that if you go on uh, – whether you go use the, the last 40th edition DVD or whether you use the one that's come, that just came out, the 50th edition Blu-ray, they both have the gala premiere uh, video on it. And they made a really awesome recreation of that moment. They did. That's <laughs> true. I, I, it's like – I mean literally people are standing in the same spots and doing the same things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, in the film, uh, she reacts, you know, basically that that everything has sort of come together and she cries because of that. Um, in real life, uh, according to to everyone, she actually cried because she hated the film and approached Walt after the premiere to say, well, the animation piece has to go. Um, and he very famously said to her, Pamela, that ship has sailed. <laughs> um. <laughs> turned and walked away yeah he she also wrote him a letter afterwards that's got a very different tone than that story yes um, and that letter is part of that letter is in the iBook by the way as well that you can read where she actually talked up the movie not talked it down when when dealing with Walt after the movie was released mm-hmm. okay but that there are interviews where she did not talk fondly of it. And like we said earlier, the thing about making the stage play where anybody American was banned from dealing with making a stage play, uh, you know, little things like that. But then, you know, in, in 1980-ish, right, didn't she, she tried to get a second, a sequel made? Yes, she was trying very hard to get a sequel made, and through Disney. Through Disney. So, uh, it, so while it may not have been what she wanted, I, I think the important point the salient point that's made by the walt of the movie okay because i can't say whether this was made by the walt in real life is that he made a he did what walt does which is he takes a movie and he makes it into a movie for that uh, he takes a book and he makes it into something people will go to the movies and watch and enjoy okay yeah um Be, there c- sorry can i interrupt no, go ahead, just, go, yeah go ahead okay. 
Um, the BBC documentary, the reporter who uh, who was hosting it, who you know was kind of the talking head throughout the whole thing, she had a great love for Mary Poppins, and she talked a lot about how when she went to see it as a girl, like she'd had a love for the books first, and she said, you know, this doesn't feel like the books at all, but there's Dick Van Dyke, and there's Dancing Penguins, and and there's Chimney Sweeps, and it's wonderful, it's just not Mary Poppins. Like, that's the way that she viewed it. She said, I'm glad that this exists. It's just, they're two completely different things to me, the books I, and the movie. As someone who's read the only the original book, I have not read the additional books, because um, it's what, like five, six total books, right? I think there's six total, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, agree that it is a very, very different uh, feel when you read the book, but at the same time, um, as someone who has read background and understood stands this stuff a little bit um i'm also really glad that this movie didn't ever bring up uh unicorns flying underground fair point <laughs> i don't know why but it is no 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 yeah. uh so, well you can rachel can explain if she knows um i don't know about that but i was i was just gonna say that there are some elements of the book that i do yeah. not think could have ever translated to screen yeah. that's, you know, that's at least at least not for American audiences, yeah, it's it's not a, it's not so much an element of the book as it's it's how she ultimately some at one point explained the origin of Mary Poppins was that Mary Poppins was a, a unicorn that flew underground and came out as Mary Poppins. I had not heard that, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's an interesting. I think we discussed it back in way back in our Mary Poppins episode. Wow, we did the Mary Poppins episode like that was like what like number ten or something like that. Yeah, roughly. it was very early on. <laughs> she did a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's just really fun to look at this because it's I I I get there's a lot of stuff in this like we said earlier that's just not real, didn't happen, was changed events, whatever. But at the same time, that doesn't make it a bad movie. That just makes it not a true-to-life thing. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think that was my point early on is like this is, uh, this is a story. And to my mind in watching it, it was a story that needed to be told. Whether or not it, this is the story of P.L. Travers' trip to America is sort of irrelevant. If you put different names on them, uh, it probably would – I was about to say not be doing as well, but it's not doing great anyway. Uh, but if you it, it, if you put different names on it and you told this story, it's still worth telling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing about it being historically accurate or not, um, the thing that I found this really interesting after um, seeing the film and then watching the documentary by the BBC about her life. There are a lot of things that were happening in her life that actually did happen in her life, not, you know, movie, magic, et cetera, et cetera, um, that were happening that are alluded to in the script but are never outright said that add a bit of extra color to her character that if you get a chance to, I would highly recommend seeing the movie twice but seeing the documentary in between so you can catch some of those little references to um, like for instance, um, she's the scene where she's sitting on the, on the grass with, uh, with Ralph and making the little house and he's asking her about whether, you know, um, like she has any family and, and she mentions that it's not anyone who would, 
notice if she was at home or halfway across the world. That is a reference to the struggle she was going that she was going through with her son at the time, which I don't know if you guys read anything about um, the problems that with her son. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that he had he had recently found out that he was adopted. He had not he had believed all his life that she was his biological mother, and and he had also found out that he also had a twin which she had also kept from him and had never told him. So when, yeah. when they're referencing that and then also the question of whether she has children and she kind of hesitates and doesn't quite know how to answer that, it's also a reference back to, to her adopted son who had, at that point was, you know, feuding with her and having all sorts, like, sorts of run-ins with the law. Yeah. And they intentionally wrote the the son character out of this movie, by the way. Yeah. Because they just didn't want to address any of that. But uh, you're right. I mean, that's actually an interesting background point because uh, one of the reasons why he, you know, went off on his mother was because uh, she really basically took him from this family, not in, in a legal manner, but she wouldn't take the twin Yep. Despite that they were supposed to be going together, she said, "I'm only taking one, and I'm taking this one." Is how it's is how it's replayed, and um, you know, because I've read the st- adoption stuff, I've not watched in a documentary at all. I've read about it though, and uh, it, there were a lot of kids involved, so he had a whole big family, like you said, he just never knew about. He yeah. thought she was it, exactly, uh, because, because she never she never married. She did. There was no father. No, you know, in in the scene here. Yeah, which is interesting that she insists that she be referred to as Mrs. Travers throughout yes. the whole movie, even yes. even though she would probably be Miss or Ms. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if there's a difference in British parlance or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Their 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 English is a little different than ours. Um, but I I did you know? But again, back to the concept of broken families and stuff like that. Is that's that's why I think like when you have um, you know, Ruth Wilson playing against Colin Farrell as Margaret Goff is they have this just very scary, you know, broken home thing going on. Yeah, she she's intense in this. Uh, he, he is obviously, you know, playing to type, but uh, I'm glad you brought her up because she's very intense. I don't know how else to, to put it, but just like, you know, kind of gives you the willies a little bit <laughs> Uh, especially, you know, as Rachel said, at some point in the movie, she attempts suicide. And, you know, just the single-mindedness with which she walks out into the water is, is it's scary. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a real event from everything that I've read about Yes, her. it is. Yeah. Her trying to kill herself, drown herself in the river. Though apparently it was during a rainstorm, which they didn't do it that way in the movie, so. Yeah. Well, the difference is in the in the in the film, uh, Ginty, the young Travers, young PL Travers, goes and rescue her. In real life, um, she did not go and rescue her. She actually sat by the fireplace with and told her, started telling her sister's stories, which is how she credits her first experience of writing. Right, right. I mean, because every, so everybody understands is you know, the Mary Poppins is is supposed as a name is supposed to be a conglomeration of Poppins Street, which is near the house that she based Cherry Street Lane on. And if I take it there, right, Cherry Tree Lane on. Cherry Tree Lane, yeah. Sorry, 
Jerry Streetlight. And um and her sister's name was Mary. So you know, there you go, right there. Yep. Um that you know, it's just that it's just that some things are just simple in that respect. Yeah. Um Indeed. oh so I wanted a I, I was reading a little bit about the redoing Disneyland to like nineteen sixty one Disneyland. Which I don't think they did very successfully, but go ahead. No, a lot of people don't. I mean, the 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 flower bed they did they did fine, I think, in the front of the park. Yes. Right, because because those things are pretty much exactly what they were back then, right? I mean, the the Mickey in the front hasn't changed much. It's just different flowers today. Well, and different styles of Mickey. Different styles, of, right? So they but they changed that because apparently they recreated from scratch all the posters from the time period that were at the front of the park yes they did so that was and, but when they get in the back it's really hard to make modern day fantasy land look like 1961 fantasy land because 1961 fantasy land it looked like a bunch of circus tents yes it did <laughs> so you can't you, you just can't do that but on the other hand uh what they did what they did do apparently uh i, I was reading some stuff about some blog from somebody who was there during it you know, one of the one of the cast members who got to be an extra, and he said it was really weird walking down Fantasyland that day because literally one half of it was designed for the movie, and the other half was just normal Fantasyland. That, oh, that, that was that, in twenty three, right? right yeah. Was it? Not yeah. For, uh, it wasn't for D twenty three. It was a blog because they only had cast members allowed to. No, but I think they reproduced that blog in the D twenty three magazine that. Of saving Mr. Banks. Oh, maybe I didn't. I didn't read it in the magazine. I just read it online. So, I, sorry. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. I, I believe you. Uh, I do want to reference that that people are D twenty three members. Um, if you're a gold D twenty three member, or you make be, become gold. You can um get saving Mr. Banks. Um, there's a ton of reference material in, inside that magazine. Yeah. Oh, oh, I have a trivia question. Yes, sir. Okay. So, this is the third film ever to shoot scenes at Disneyland. What were the first two? Um, there was a film about Khrushchev, but I can't remember what it was called. Um, I did not know that, but okay. I wasn't, there was... Uh, there was, I, I, I guess I wasn't including documentary pieces. Sorry. No, no, no. There was a film. There was a, or maybe maybe it's a film that's never gotten made. But there was a film about how Khrushchev wanted to go to Disneyland and he was not allowed. Oh, okay. No, no. This is like filmed actually in Disneyland with scenes that legitimately like were filmed in Disneyland. No, that's what I'm saying. I think this this actually ended up. Uh, I, I don't know if they actually ever did film in Disneyland, but um, okay. No, I they, I meant the movie itself. Like I, I I for something like that, maybe they used stock footage. Is what I'm. They thinking. might have. They might. Yeah. Have, yeah. I, I uh, do not know. I can't answer that question. Rachel. I'm. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it. But I, I, I at one point I knew the answer to this, but I can't remember now. <laughs> well, one of them is directed by Tom Hanks. Big. Nope. Okay. Close? No, not really. Directed by Tom Hanks. Directed by Tom Hanks, not starring Tom Hanks. Splash? No. Nope. Same problem. Directed (laughs) by Tom Hanks. His directorial debut. Joe versus the volcano. No, I'm kidding. His directorial debut. Oh my gosh. Uh, That Uh, thing you do. That thing you do. 
Right? Oh my remember, gosh. remember his last thing before going off to war is he goes to Disneyland. Right? Okay. All right. Okay. And the other one is actually a Disney movie. It's uh, 40 Pounds of Trouble. I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of monorail and, and Skyway in that one. So. Very cool. Nice trivia question. Well done, sir. Yeah. I have a question. Um, does anyone know regarding the autographs that they gave out? Was did they really give out autographs? And if so, did they give out Waltz? Did they give out Tom's? What do you mean? The, you're talking about the cards, the yeah. the cards that Walt handed out while he was there. Yes, he did that. No, no, he no. The, the, Walt, the ones he, that Tom Hanks is handing yeah, she out. Knows, she knows Walt. Walt did that, movie. but she's asking. Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good question. I nobody's actually mentioned anything about that that I remember. Um, you yeah, know, that is a good question. Yeah. Um, one thing that we didn't discuss, uh, going back to um, sure. Schwartz, Schwartzman as Sherman and Novak as Sherman, um, was that they both spent time with Richard Sherman, especially Schwartzman spent a ton of time with Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. Because, um, well, one, uh, as everyone knows, Schwartzman in this movie is really playing the piano because he is legitimately a pianist. Just I so, did not know that. Yes. So uh, it's, it's one of his, his many skills. So he basically like, took lessons from Richard Sherman how to do some of the things. And so that he is legitimately playing those things in the movie. Oh, that's great. Okay. So that's, that's one of the nice things about that. Uh, but uh, Sherman himself was actually consulting in the room during, every, during all the scenes that are filmed inside the script room. Yeah, which I read yeah, interviews I... with him, and he said that was very painful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he said he 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 said what I read was that emotionally painful because it's it's yes. really because it it's weird to see your your life recreated like that is what, how how I read him putting it. Well, and also the fact that him and his brother had been, you know, like further on in life they they had like a falling out. So yes. I bet that it was it was difficult for him also to to see these moments recreated, you know, that were, you know, really happy for him and his brother, but it's also kind of bittersweet considering that they really didn't get along for a very long time. Like the, the documentary that you mentioned before about the Sherman brothers and their life and work, um, that they were at the red carpet for, um, for the Mary Poppins uh, Broadway musical and their families ended up sitting on opposite sides of the theater. Yes. Yeah, no, they did not see eye to eye for many, many years. Um, many years after they left the, the Disney company. Yeah, because it's not long after Mary Poppins gets made that they get fired from. Yeah, well, they left and, and went and did uh, Chitty Chitty yeah. Bang Chitty, Bang, Chitty, and they Chitty, came bang, bang. back. Yeah, and that's right, yeah, yeah. Again, and yeah, yep. there's all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Um, that's true. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to say that because uh, it, if people want to watch the video where uh, that's it's a video that's narrated by Sherman and uh, Schwartzman, it is on the uh, 50th anniversary Blu-ray, which I need to go get. So yeah, now you definitely need because that is a really good 15 to 15 minutes or so of watching. So it's it's uh, very enjoyable because they they got along, and that's I think that's really important. That's how, probably why the character plays so well. In the movie, so. All right. Well, we've talked. We've talked a lot about this movie. Is there anything else we want to uh, want to add before we uh, before we rate it? Just bring got... tissues for the feed birds. Definitely. Oh yes. yes. 
bring tissues, period. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, just bring a box. Um, I, there were three uh, Easter egg things that I noticed in the movie. I, there's probably more, but I just wrote them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is obviously the map of Florida in Walt's office. Yes. Which is probably the biggest Disney geeky thing right there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I noticed is that at one point he's talking to one of the secretaries. I can't remember which one it was. And he says uh, he needs to uh, speak with GE about the about a project, and he's talking about the yeah. Carousel of Progress. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, and also that uh, for the past, uh, well, for, I think they're back now, but for a while, all the Academy Awards that were down here in Florida at uh, the Animation Academy were removed because they all went into the recreation of Walt's office for this movie, and those were all the real Academy Awards that are normally down here. Nice. Cool. So that's uh, those are fun three little things that I noticed. Well, I one I had Yeah, I have an Easter egg thing that I noticed. Um, cool. Uh, did anyone else notice the scene where they're driving her around the studio when she initially first wants to walk, and they're like, "No, it's a long ways," and they're driving her on the golf cart. Um, the the soundtrack in the background is doing a version of "Hi Ho." Yes, like a, I I did hear that. Yeah. Um, so you you know the you know the story, right? Is that um, even to this to this day, you walk down the hallways of the studios offices and they're always playing some kind of disney music so i think that was to allude to that fact oh a little probably, bit yeah yeah and i mean it doesn't, it doesn't does happen work... here in florida by the way <laughs> yeah and the soundtrack does work in a lot of music from from mary poppins and a couple other disney things but yeah that was one that just stood out to me because i expected there to be music from mary poppins but when that showed up i thought that was interesting also wait todd on the high hole front isn't it in front of your building too Oh yeah, yeah, they do. And and the if you ever go look at the uh, Team Disney building down here, there's a there's an in out thing about it. So uh, where it says uh, you know hi ho hi off work to go, and it's hi ho hi off, it's headed home I go. Or so. Oh, nice. That has to be nice to see. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right, so let's let's rate Saving Mr. Banks, and uh, let's see if the the folks want to go and and check it out because uh, you know it should be in theaters for for quite some time. Um, I have to make the money back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna let Todd go first well, on this one. Yeah, I will. I, to your to your point, really quick before I go, is that because uh, Disney is heavily lobbying for for this to get uh, on as many Academy Awards as possible. In one capacity or another, uh, you can bet that it's going to be playing all the way through January. So, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> even if it's even if it's like left in like three theaters, it's just going to keep being there. And they'll probably do a re-release of it. Is my guess is probably mid to late January. That's about. Well, even even if you don't see it, um, you know, if you don't see it in the theaters, and I advise going to see it in the theater. And um, you know, I took my seven-year-old, and it was safe for the whole family. So. Um, there, you know, there is the suicide scene that we had to have a little talk about, but other than that, um, it's, it's fairly safe. Um, you know, I, I do advise seeing it in the theaters, but, um, like Cheryl mentioned earlier, it's going to be out on Blu-ray in May, so, or in March. So, um, you'll, you'll get to see it sooner rather than later if you don't get out to the theaters. All right. True. But Todd, your rating. Oh, my rating. Uh, so I really like this movie a lot. I, Again, I, I just want to stress uh, the, my, you know, my feelings is that I, I get that a lot of this is just not factual, but uh, a lot of movies we see 
are not factual, even any, especially anything based on the events of a true life story like this one is. Okay, uh, and uh, Disney as a company is notorious for being a for going for story over, well, uh, to go for a uh, mo- a well played movie story over fact, and that's not a bad thing. That's just how movies make money. So that's that's and and are enjoyable. Uh, for me, this was a very enjoyable movie. It's not the greatest movie in creation, but it's not a terrible movie either. Um, I feel that it's a four. I uh, I will agree with you. I was going to give it, and that's exactly what I was going to say too, is that uh, I would give it a four. It's, you know, it's not, you know, an instant classic or anything like that, but it it's a good movie. It's a fun one. It's one I'm going to buy when it comes out. Um, it, it, it surprised me. I was delighted in places. Um, you know, Emma Thompson is amazing. Um, I've really, I really enjoy her work most of the time anyway, but this was really great. Um, so I would also give it a four. Uh, Cheryl, what about you? I'm going to go on the low side. I'm going to go with a two and a half. Didn't care for it? I, after seeing it twice, No. If I don't, I think if I only had seen it once, I think it would have been higher. But what, after what was it about it? A little bit critical. What was it that turned you turned you off? I think it's just that critical eye you of a movie where it's you know you get you get critical of the story and what's going on. Gotcha. So I was, I don't know. It's just like I think if I see it once, I'd go back out and say it was four. And now I see it twice. I'm like two and a half. <laughs> understandable, understandable. All so right, maybe Rachel. It's one of those one and done things, you know. You you see it once, you're great. Don't go right. see it twice, or you're overanalyzing yourself. Uh, could be. That happens a lot with with a lot of different movies. All right, Rachel. What about you? Okay. Uh, apparently, I'm going to be on the high side with this. I'm going to give it a four and a half. I really loved the acting, and I thought that all the leads were fantastic. I thought there was. Some great supporting uh, cast work done by B.J. Novak and, uh, of course, uh, uh, Paul Giamatti and Bradley Whitford and, of course, uh, Jason Schwartzman. Just all fantastic all around. Um, Colin Farrell broke my heart. I think the music was fantastic. And I actually, I think I would, I would like to see this movie again because, as I said, watching the, do- the BBC documentary and kind of putting together all of the the fact and the fiction, I think, is just really interesting to me. And the, that process of, you know, adaptation and creating something new out of something that's already wonderful it is always very interesting to me. So I give it four and a half. All right. So I think, uh, and even you, Cheryl, would, would recommend people go see it, right? I would definitely recommend definitely go see it. Just be weird if you, like... I know Rachel enjoys comparing it to some, this, again, to me, I feel like I overanalyzed, and I just didn't enjoy it after seeing it twice. So there you go. Unlike Frozen, where I think I could go see it five times, and I'd still be happy. Oh, yes, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with you there. All right, so uh, that is our review of Saving Mr. Banks. We want to thank our folks in the chat room and the folks who've joined us uh, live for this show uh, for for hanging in there and and joining us for it. 
Um, if you disagree with us, agree with us, let us know. Go over to DisneyFilmProject.com, leave a note in the show notes. You can also um, hit us up on Facebook at Disney Film Project or, of course, on Twitter at DizFilmProject or email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. And let's not forget to talk about that movie giveaway that we're going to be doing in a few weeks in January. That's right. So keep your eyes peeled on uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, and we are going to be giving away a big stack of films. What, 15? Um, I think it's over 10. I'm not over sure 10? how many, but... 150 movies. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, big, please, big no. He is kidding, just so we're clear. Yes, completely kidding. Um, so keep your eyes peeled. And we're that's what we with all the websites. We're, we're just, you know, looking to get a little bit more exposure, so... Tell your friends yep. if you want to listen to Disney Film Project too. <laughs> there you go. So that they can, uh, yeah, spread. Tell your mom. It's 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 the holiday season as we uh, we talk live. You know, to sit down with mom at, at uh, the holiday dinner and hey, you know, mom, this is a great podcast you should listen to. That's right. And then when she watches it, please get her to uh, go review it on iTunes. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And if you haven't reviewed us on iTunes, please do so. It helps people find the show uh, more so than anything else. Um, the more reviews you have, the more people, when they go looking for Disney films, the easier it is for them to find the show. All right. Uh, but So that's going to do it for our show on Saving Mr. Banks. We've got all kinds of great stuff coming up for you. So please stay tuned to Disney Film Project. Um, So for Todd and Cheryl and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we will see you soon. Bye.